0: Hi, I'm Valerie Steele, Director and Chief Curator of the Museum at FIT, the most fashionable museum in New York City. Welcome to our Fashion Culture podcast series, featuring lectures and conversations about fashion. If you like what you hear, please share your thoughts on social media using the hashtag #FashionCulture. Culture. As Valerie said at the beginning of the conference, um, 13 years ago, FIT hosted uh, the symposium Fashion Quality, uh, the Rise of the Fashion Exhibition, and I wrote up my lecture notes for uh, this edition of Fashion Theory uh, after that. Uh, um, Great conference, quite contentious conference, as all the best conferences are contentious. At that time, I was head of research at the Victoria and Albert Museum. Uh, Three years later, in 2011, I moved back into the Academy to Edinburgh College of Art and the University of Edinburgh. Uh, And a year and a half ago, I moved again back into the museum and gallery world where I'm now Director of Collection and Research in an art gallery in the National Galleries of Scotland. But fashion is still my first interest. And just to reflect a bit on what I said then because so much has changed. Oh, my word, we live in a different... um, uh, world. The paper itself was quite nostalgic even then. I was looking back 10 years um, ago to another contentious uh, conference that happened at Platt Hall that was celebrating their 50th uh, anniversary then in Manchester in the United Kingdom. Uh, And there was an infamous schism there, perhaps between fashion museology and dress museology, that you explained the difference there. In some ways, that was being played out at that conference many years ago, between an established generation of dress curators and an emerging generation uh, of new fashion theorists, a younger generation of fashion curators uh, at the moment when fashion theory was um, in its early days. And uh, I was giving, perhaps in my paper in this um, journal, um, thanks for a new spirit of collaboration between the museum and the academy, the way things had moved on. Um, It was a collaboration that, around the millennium and in the first decade of the 21st century, at least in the UK, that was a positive, quite utopian one. There had been massive capital investment uh, in uh, museums and galleries in the UK, across Europe, uh, in the United States as well at that moment. Uh, We had a new Labour uh, government then, Uh, The creative industries were incredibly important as a framework within which curatorial practices happened. They helped museums and understanding of what the creative industries and the museum sector uh, might do if they came together. And there was a massive expansion of university programs and funded research around fashion, around curation, around fashion in the arts and humanities in that first decade uh, of the 21st century. Um, But um, I noted a few recent trends in the paper. I talked about some exhibitions I'd worked on as well. Um, uh, And I talked particularly about this idea of collaborative work and collaborative scholarship, a community of scholars and curators working together, bringing together historical and contemporary uh, knowledge. And I ended uh, the lecture and the paper with a quotation on the future. And I used a quotation from Callum Storey, an architect and exhibition designer, who had just written a book called The Delirious Museum. And I said, what fun times that we are living in a museum context that might be delirious. Slightly mad, uh, but hugely creative, uh, and wanting to, to move forward. Now, not to depress you, how things have changed. In 2019, if that was the moment of promised utopia, now we live in the moment of perpetual crisis. In the world at large, since then, uh, we've seen a major financial crash. We've seen the rise of this term, more recently, populism uh, across the political uh, uh, and public sphere. Uh, I don't mention the names, but in my own world, we've seen uh, Brexit, here perhaps we've seen Trump. In the UK, the research environment has shifted from a focus on individual scholarship to ideas around impact, the strategic value uh, of research uh, and the way that it can generate money in an impoverished um, uh, sector at the moment. We've seen the imposition of thematic research themes As a curator or an academic, if you want to apply for funds now, they have to fit preconceived ideas um, set by the research councils in the UK uh, that are often strategic and have social ends, which is good, but it constrains the imagination uh, in some ways. I think universities have become fully monetized in the UK. You're perhaps more used to that here in the US. Uh, And they've become much more focused on what is seen now as the consumer in the university, the student. So there's been a shift from research back to teaching, in some ways a good thing, in other ways a a problematic thing. Uh, Scholarship in the university itself is a contested uh, word and one could say that the university in the world is in crisis at the moment in terms of its identity national museums where i now work now and where i used to work when i was at the vna national museums in the uk used to receive 70% of their funding from the government from the taxpayer in 2006 now in 2019 most of them are lucky to earn around, to get around 20% of their funding from the taxpayer uh, and the government. So they have to make up that differential, which may explain why there's a shift towards the world of of fashion as a money earner uh, in the National Museum. And we live in an era where expertise, at least in the UK, is derided or mistrusted in this frame of populism. So scholars are often on the defensive, Uh, They are seen as part of the much maligned world of the elites. So we have to do something about this. We can't just pull the quilt over our heads and go back to sleep in the morning and hope it all goes away. We have to adapt and we have to change. Uh, And I want to talk a little bit about how we're changing. And it reflects on some of the recent uh, papers we've heard uh, this morning, the great papers we've heard this morning. So um, this is where uh, uh, I may end up getting the sack, given that this is uh, live streamed across the world. So I hope my colleagues are not listening. Uh, And the medium is not the message uh, here. Um, Manifesto's are usually written by dictators uh, or by politicians, Um, but um, uh, this was something I did to get my current job. Uh, We were asked, in interview to say what the curator needed, what the curator needed to be in the 21st century. So I wrote this short manifesto which I will um, go through uh, with you uh, in the next uh, 15 minutes or so. Um, I don't work in, a, in an institution that's got a fashion collection, per se. The National Galleries of Scotland, as I say, is an art museum, uh, but it does include much of relevance to the fashion uh, collector, from portraits at the Portrait Gallery in Edinburgh uh, to a great historical collection, from Poussin Sacraments to Sargent Portraits uh, to a great collection of surrealist uh, works. So there's all sorts of things I can do about... Um, Uh, fashion as I continue to work there. But in the last year since I got the job on the basis of this manifesto, I've really been working with colleagues in the curatorial section, which I'm responsible for as Director of Collection and Research, on redesigning their job descriptions. How they've loved that over the past uh, year. Uh, we used to have 22 bespoke job descriptions, many of which have been in place for at least the past 30 years, uh, which were constraining curators within a particular mode of practice. I've managed to get it down to six and I've got the curators to write their own job descriptions in relation to what is needed in the 21st century, not what was needed in 1972, which some of them were referring back to. And I was looking towards creating, though you might not think of it by what I've just said, a cohesive, connected, collegial museum, uh, a new model of museum that reflects some of the things we've heard in the previous paper. 10 points, 10 points in this manifesto, quickly. Sorry, Valerie, I'm not trying to curry favor. Here is the first. Can you read, can you read the text? Because that I, I don't like reading out PowerPoint texts because you can read it on the screen. So I hope you can read these. Um, I will just summarize them. The first point is about leadership. Uh, I think Alexandra in her uh, paper earlier on talk, talked about this dastardly curate word. Everybody curates now. I blame it on Hans, Ulbricht, uh, Hans Ulrich Oberist uh, and a generation of contemporary art curators and contemporary art practitioners in the 1990s who switched us all within the cultural sector towards the curatorial turn, where, turn, where everybody curates. So in a sense, we have, to, we have to take hold and we have to demonstrate uh, leadership, and we have to own the concept of curation uh, back in the uh, in, in the museum and gallery sector and within uh, our broader uh, sector. Uh, we need to own the term and we need to demonstrate that we're moving forward with it. We don't need to be defensive and hold back, uh, try to contain uh, uh, a notion of, of, of uh, what the curator means. We need to... De- dictate in some ways what it is. Don't want to put Valerie's image up there with a dictator, but um, <laughs> a great image of leadership, uh, of, the, of, the first, um, uh, of the first premise in my manifesto. This is perhaps the opposite uh, notion of what the museum leader might be, although, like Valerie, this is one of my heroes. For those who, who don't know who this is, this is Sir Roy Strong. Uh, Sir Roy, as uh, he's, he's known affectionately in the UK, uh, director of the Victoria and Albert Museum in the late 1970s uh, and early 1980s, uh, very instrumental in founding the uh, Costume Society in the UK. I think he was the first chair in 1965 when he was director of the National Portrait Gallery in London. Um, the theme here is about democracy. When I was growing up, when I was a seven-year-old boy uh, going to the local library in provincial uh, West Country, England, Sir Roy Strong had written two massive volumes on Elizabethan portraiture, uh, which were his PhD uh, in the... uh, in the late 1960s um, at the Warburg Warburg Institute. And I love those volumes. Uh, I tried to keep them at home. I would never take them back to the library just to be renewed until they told me to stop having these volumes. He represented everything I wanted to be uh, in terms of a curator and writer. Uh, But he also represents an old world. The theme here is really uh, about democracy because his public pronouncements, the way he ran the v probably appropriate in the late 70s and 80s, was about being a custodian of knowledge, was about owning knowledge, representing knowledge, representing expertise in what we would now call a bad elitist way, I suppose. Um, and uh, we need to to cut through that, I think, to move away from defensive elitism, from broadcast uh, towards engagement and connection, um, from curate to co-curate, something I think that a generation of, 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 of soroes would find uh, troubling uh, and uncomfortable. Um, so that's about a generational shift. I think the third point in the manifesto is about what we might call mediatization. Um, Curation, as I think in the the dress uh, museology definition that we heard before, um, is often about care, conserving, uh, again, containing. Uh, But we live now in a world, of course, where knowledge is out there, and other forms of media aside from the fashion museum are demonstrating far more innovative methods both of communicating what fashion might be and of communicating with massive new audiences. This is Nick Knight, for those who, who, who know the, uh, uh, the, the image here, uh, founder of Show Studio, the, um, uh, in some ways, a sort of online contemporary fashion museum in 2000, taken much further forward by Penny Martin, uh, um, now um, uh, working in journalism one of the um, first, I think, virtual online galleries to understand the power of new forms of knowledge, uh, new uh, 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 formations of creativity. Through showing the entire creative process uh, in the fashion sphere uh, and this is the competition that museum exhibition that fashion exhibitions within the museum within the real space uh, face now which they didn't 20 years ago so the curator has to understand uh, that they are living in this world and dealing uh, with these sorts of audiences and possible platforms the next uh, point is really about situation and space. If that was about a post-space form of of exhibiting, uh, this point in the manifesto uh, is about where curation actually takes place in the real world. And this conference is focusing on exhibitions and exhibitionism, uh, but of course the curator's uh, sphere of practice is much wider than that in the spaces of the museum. It was great to go backstage just now to go to the toilet because you just fell upon all these dark spaces where all sorts of interesting things happen. And since moving back into the gallery space, sorry, cut, not those sorts of things, <laughs> moving back into the um, uh, into the uh, gallery space, uh, I've realised that the the exhibition space, the public space of the exhibition that most of our audiences see, is only a fraction uh, of where the action takes place. Uh, And I love this this idea of of front and back space and how they work together, that it's not a binary, uh, that you have to have both uh, working in tandem, Um, and that scholarly practice as well flows through those different sorts of spaces different sorts of disciplines, sometimes colliding, and sometimes disrupting, uh, forming what some uh, fashion curators, um, some in the audience, uh, and and speakers today have called called a new sonography uh, of fashion curation. Uh, This is the sort of show that that excites me. Slightly off-piste for for this uh, point in the manifesto, but it's Antwerp. It's uh, a collaboration between Momo and the Royal Momo and the Royal uh, Museum of Fine Arts in Antwerp, commemorating the 100th anniversary uh, of uh, v- the uh, a uh, p- particular post-impressionist painter of his death, uh, bringing together fashion and art in an interesting collision in the space. Then number five. We have access. A curator in the 21st century needs to really understand what access means. Uh, consider here, this is the VA's new building in London, proposed new building in London in Stratford, bringing together um, uh, academic institutions, London College of Fashion, Chelsea uh, School of Art, I think, uh, and media. Um, with with, uh, its collection that's moved from Blythe House in the west of uh, London, an old Edwardian post office building that was closed to the public, except you had to make special application to go and see the collection uh, here in its new uh, space, open to everybody, theoretically. We're doing the same thing in Scotland. I was astounded when I came into my uh, post to realize that only 3% of our collection is on the gallery walls at any one time. Uh, That 97% of our collection is in stores in the suburbs of Edinburgh. Now scholars and researchers, indeed anyone actually, can make an appointment to come and look at items in store, Um, but uh, often the waiting list is such because of resource, it's a month at least, uh, and it's a highly controlled experience. Um, uh, Great for people to get behind the scenes, but not really opening up access in a way that audiences uh, and visitors might expect in the 21st century. So we're moving our whole collection down to uh, an ex-industrial area on the edge of uh, Edinburgh that's being rebuilt with cultural institutions like Stratford at the moment, which is a hybrid between the museum and the store, an open store, almost an exhibition that anybody can come into where new technologies allow anyone to come in without a curator having to be there to to, to care. It might be more of a challenge with with fashion objects than it is for paintings and drawings and prints that I work with now, but I think it is the future, this uh, this opening up, this new sense of access, Uh, not uh, not owning culture but but allowing access towards it. We've heard a little about the post-disciplinary nature of curatorship or the need to be able to move deftly between uh, disciplines. And as I said with the Momo example, I really enjoy exhibitions that willfully break disciplinary boundaries uh, and that move scholarship on to another place. Uh, I enjoyed this one uh, Sophia uh, Hedman and Serge. Uh, oh, Judith, shout out the, the, the surname Serge. Uh, anyway, the, um, um, at the uh, Lillevax uh, uh, Museum and Gallery in Sweden in 2015, it was slightly delirious for any of you who went there. Huge, posing questions, visual, moving from a one visual experience to another, uh, but audiences seemed to be really engaging and loving that sense of the unexpected, that sense of being moved to a place where you might actually feel slightly uncomfortable and slightly challenged. I've always thought that the edge is a better place to inhabit than the center. Uh, And this sort of post-disciplinary idea for curators uh, is something uh, that's important. Um, Then, really then, number seven, Of course, the collection and the object and a focus on the object is still at the core of all of this. It's not about throwing that out. Uh, We're uh, rewriting our own collection development policy right now at my museum, questioning what its function is. It seems to be more about curators needing to show due diligence and to stick within a legal framework than understanding what new audiences might want from the collection as we add to it. So why aren't we asking those questions, or why haven't we in the past? Why is is an acquisition policy something owned by the museum and not shared with its visitors and audiences? Uh, So some calculated risk there. We see some great projects um, in the UK uh, where... The, the museum is being really vigorously challenged by other groups. The volunteer, um, uh, Dan Nouveau at the VA, in his uh, queer LGBTQ um, tours uh, of, of the museum's collection and blog about the collection, uh, uh, is wonderful. It's not coming from the center of the museum, it's coming uh, from its edges and from its constituencies. Sarah Wahid's uh, big project, Museum Detox, which challenges uh, the imperial histories of museum collecting. Again, we don't need to be defensive about that and sending those queries to the press department every time and worrying about them. They are about the debates that museums need to have if they stay alive. So we need to communicate. We need to be advocates. Uh, Neil McGregor ex-director of the British Museum, St. Neil, as many of my colleagues uh, refer to him, uh, is perhaps a great example of taking the British Museum's collections out there into the world and really changing people's understanding of the world's history in a hugely ambitious way uh, in in this uh, book, radio program, and exhibition Uh, That he projected as a a new form of connected, uh, communicated, advocated um, curatorship. Uh, That's about smashing down those ivory towers. That's about, and I need to smash down the ivory towers that I helped to build 20 years ago, I think, in my in my former paper, which is why I'm slightly like the rabid convert here um, talking to you all. Nearly there. Sustainability. This is the sustainable curator. Funding is a problem, uh, but we need to know the difference between cost and value uh, and play those two things uh, off together. This is a slide of uh, the Muda uh, Museum in Lisbon, which I think and I'm thankful to my PhD student, uh, Alessandro Bucci here, uh, who's written very interestingly on this as a a case study, in a derelict bank that essentially is part of the detritus of the financial crisis that got us into this place, inhabited, now being rebuilt, so it may lose some of this rawness, inhabited by a couture collection. Uh, It's an extraordinary juxtaposition uh, of the way we might think about the value of our collections Um, in not just in monetary terms, uh, but in political terms as well. And finally, this is about interpretation and engagement. It's all about interpretation in the end, and I think I'm going to have big arguments within my own institution about where interpretation lies. Is it with the curatorial division? Are they still the owners of the knowledge? Is it with our education department, who work a lot with visitors and audiences? Is it about our marketing department, uh, who really know the latest theories uh, uh, around um, engagement and, and new audiences? When I was at the VA, we didn't use consultants, culture consultants, at all. Now, I think most national museums spend a lot of time uh, with uh, big culture. Uh, consultancy companies, what used to be called brand or trend companies, um, who give us a new understanding of of how culture is made up and how it relates to the museum in this new challenging world. Um, And I think that's, um, we don't need to reject that. We might critique it and contest it, but we need to understand it. We need to get within it and behind it in order to be effective at making the curatorial case. Because in the end, if museums and galleries are about anything, they're about people. And that might be a controversial thing to say. A collection or an object means nothing uh, if it's not engaging with people. So my favourite quote still remains the E.M. Forster quote at the, uh, uh, the Only Connect at the beginning of Howard's End. He was writing at a time of great crisis, uh, but sort uh, of a way that different groups can connect, and I think that's where the challenge of the 21st curator lies, and why they need to re- read this manifesto. So thank you very much.